Well, let's get ready for the Sweet 16 of the 2022 NCAA Tournament. I'm Pete Mundo. HeartlandCollegeSports.com, of course, is how you find all the latest and biased, yes, I say it, but best Big 12 coverage anywhere on the internet. Matthew Poston's joining us. He's been leading the way on that basketball coverage all season long. Matthew, Sweet 16 is here. I know it's it's cliche to say, but I feel like we were just sitting in mid-January talking about, you know, <laughs> how many Big 12 teams can make the dance. And here we are getting ready for the Sweet 16, man. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, in January, you start thinking about March, and it just seems like it's so far off in the distance. And then you get here, and you're like, well, then January seems so far yeah, off in the yeah, distance. exactly. It's been a grind since the beginning of conference season. So it's, uh, but it's nice to be at this point and see three Big 12 teams in the Sweet 16 and the potential, the potential for a Big 12 Elite Eight showdown on Sunday. Yeah, that, that's true. And that would be, of course, in the Midwest region if uh, Kansas can beat Providence and Iowa State can beat Miami. So we'll get to the games here, but uh, let's just touch on the fact that we have three Big 12 teams in the Sweet 16. And, you know, I wrote about it um, earlier this week after, you know, we got all this stuff finalized. But I want to look at it from your perspective and say, okay, the Big 12 has three teams in the Sweet 16 that's tied with the ACC that also has three teams. But if you want to go based on probably a more accurate metric, which is percentage, the Big 12 got 30% of its teams into the Sweet 16, which is the highest percentage in the country. Is this enough? I mean, we all knew the advanced metrics showed the Big 12 being the best college basketball conference in America. Does this now confirm it to you that this league – was the best conference in America this season, and there's no doubt about it. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. I, I don't necessarily think I needed the validation of the NCAA tournament to tell me that, having watched the conference all year. But when you think about the fact that all six teams won their first-round games and they went 3-3 three and three in the second round, so they're 9-3 and three in the tournament so far, uh, the, the TC, you can make, argue a case that TCU should have beaten Arizona um, yeah. down the stretch. Uh, you know, the, you know, Baylor comes back from 25 down to nearly win that game. Uh, and then uh, Texas, you know, they had a nine-minute stretch where they didn't score a point, but they still, you know, pushed Purdue right down to the end. Nobody got blown out. You know, nobody got uh, run out of the arena. It was, you know, quality basketball throughout. And, you know, I don't, you know, the ACC can't say that with uh, some of the teams that bowed out of the tournament early. And some of them bowed out uh, with the – you know, a bit of a whimper, you know, as opposed to a, a roar. So, you know, I, I expected anywhere from three to four Big 12 teams to make it to the Sweet 16. We got three. I thought Baylor might slip in there. Uh, I thought Texas potentially could slip in there, especially after uh, you saw what St. Peter did in the other side of the bracket. But uh, I think that uh, Big 12 folks have to be pretty happy with her. They are in the men's and the women's having five combined programs in the Sweet 16 this weekend. Yeah, it's a very good point. All right, let's look at where we're at here with these teams, and let's start off in the West Regional, and that is where you have all chalk. You have uh, one-seed Gonzaga playing four-seed Arkansas, and we've got the three-seed Texas Tech Red Raiders taking on the two-seed Duke. Oh, gosh, it would feel so good to end Coach K's career at the hand of the Red Raiders and Mark Adams. And there would be something... I don't know if poetic justice is the right phrase, but, you know, here you have Mark Adams, who is coaching a Division One team for the first time in his life as, you know, a guy who's 65 years old. And you've got legendary Coach K, who, of course, has been around for decades at Duke, wrapping up his career. That Something about that storyline, Matthew, 
I just love it. And, of course, I'm biased. Not a Duke guy. Can't stand him. Can't stand Coach K. Gosh, that would feel good, wouldn't it? It's an extraordinary contrast when you look at it like that. It's also an extraordinary contrast when you look at just how these teams are put together. I mean, Duke has, you know, gobs of uh, McDonald's All-Americans. They've got five players that are averaging double figures this year. You know, Texas Tech has nobody on an NBA draft board right now. Duke has two players in NBA mock drafts right now. You know, Tech is built with um, a significant group of transfers. You know, part of that was necessary with everything that happened after Chris Beard left. Uh, you know, Coach K's program tends not to take in transfers and tends not to lose players. So there's an awful lot of contrast as you look at these two teams going into this game. And the thing that I keep coming back to when you look at what's on the floor is I just don't think that Duke has seen anyone play defense this season the way Texas Tech plays defense. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to lose just on that reason alone. But you're looking at a, a defense that on film, if you watch it, you can understand it. You can understand the principles. But when you see how Texas Tech plays it and when you see how their team is configured in a way where they don't get into mismatches when they switch and they doggedly defend you down to the baseline and keep you out of the middle and force you into charges, seeing that on the floor for 40 minutes is an entirely different thing. And I think that's going to be Coach K's biggest challenge when they play on Thursday. He has, he's going to have to find ways to adjust his offense to work with that. He has, he has the tools to do it. But I think that's going to be the biggest matchup, how Texas Tech plays defense against how Coach K is going to have to find ways to adjust to that as the game goes on. Yeah, and then, you know, if we look ahead just to, you know, what could happen from there, Gonzaga, Arkansas. I mean, the Zags were the favorites before the tournament started, I believe, and they have not looked good, Matthew. I mean, they were tied with Georgia State with, what, 10 minutes left in a 116 matchup. They were losing to Memphis, and they came storming back to win that game. Is Gonzaga kind of sleepwalking through this theme, uh, through this thing, kind of coming out of the West Coast Conference and thinking of themselves, uh, you know, every game's going to be easy until maybe this weekend, or maybe are we overvaluing what the Bulldogs are because of the lesser competition they played all year? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, that Memphis game is interesting because I, I don't feel like Gonzaga and Memphis, Memphis wasn't a good matchup for them. Uh they were just a differently configured team, and it took I think it took Gonzaga a half to figure that out. That said, I'm not sure Arkansas is a great matchup for them either because they're they're built quite a bit like Memphis in that they like to get out and run. They've got players that can can beat you in transition, and they're a good defensive team. Um, they don't have quite the height to deal with guys like Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy, but then again, Memphis didn't either, and they were in that game until the very end. So. Um, what happened against Memphis could very well just, you know, kick Gonzaga in the tail and they could start playing a lot better, uh, which is what you expect from teams that are trying to win a championship. Um, my belief is that they're going to beat Arkansas on uh, Thursday. They got their they got their kind of tournament warning against Memphis, and I think they'll be ready to go when they play Arkansas, and I think they'll advance to the Elite Eight against uh, either Tech or Duke. Oh, and uh, by the way, college basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook, where you can turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers right now using our promo code HCS can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. And here's the thing. 
If Sportsbook is not available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Yeah, you heard that right. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers and then track your results. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use our promo code HCS. That's HCS for Heartland College Sports. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with our promo code HCS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. A great way to help grow this show. 21-plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Now let's look at the Midwest Regional, and that's where we've got the other two Big 12 teams. Kansas taking on Providence, Iowa State uh, playing Miami. Let's start with uh, Iowa State-Miami. We'll begin there. Two double-digit seeds uh, pulling off upsets in the second round. Iowa State beating Wisconsin, Miami beating Auburn. Interesting matchup. Uh, Iowa State obviously is kind of, I don't want to say they're a Cinderella, but when you go from two wins last season to a Sweet 16, never been done. Uh, Historic stuff happening for Coach Oss. What do they need to do to keep that thing going? Well, I think number one, they got they have to continue to play defense the way they've been playing defense the past two games in the tournament. I mean, I think I feel like they've taken their defense to another level. I think they've been playing their best defense in the last month. You know, the kinds of plays that they made down the stretch against Wisconsin, the, the Tyrese Hunter steal, the Aljaz Coons uh, block shot in those final couple of minutes helped them protect that lead. They made some really, really good defensive plays down the stretch, really clutch plays. And they're going to need that against a Miami team that has four players that average double figures, including a familiar face to some Big 12 fans, Cameron McGusty, who was at Oklahoma for a couple of seasons before he transferred over to Miami. Uh, Miami's much more offensive-minded. Um, that's kind of the big chasm here. You know, Iowa's number five in, in Ken Palm defensive efficiency. Miami's at like 130 in defensive efficiency. So you've got a high-efficiency offensive team against a high-efficiency defensive team you kind of feel like those two things are going to kind of cancel each other out. So then it becomes, can Iowa State get another game like they got out of Gabe, Gabe Klauscher on Sunday night? Can Tyrese Hunter bounce back from um, that tepid scoring performance against Wisconsin? Can Isaiah Brockington, can, can he get his shot going against Miami? Because I feel like if those three guys get going offensively for Iowa State and they play defense the way that I expect – I think they have a shot at being beating Miami on Friday night because I don't think Miami's not near the quality defensive team that Iowa State is, and they're going to have to find ways to get stops. And if Iowa State shoots them in the, themselves in the foot, as they have done sometimes this year, that'll make things a lot easier for Miami. But if those three guys are playing well, and they've all played well on offense at various times in this tournament, but if they're all playing well together at the same time, I have a really hard time seeing Miami winning that game. All right, so in terms of Coach Otts and what he's done this year, I think we all thought good things were coming for Iowa State basketball. Steve Prohm gets blown out. Uh, Coach Otzelberger comes in from UNLV. Stack up what your expectations were for him and and what he ultimately did and how you compare and contrast those. Um, My expectation for them in year one was to win double-digit games and maybe challenge for the NIT. Wow. he has far he has far exceeded what <laughs> I was expecting coming into this season, and I think we have to sort of start 
recalibrating our expectations for what programs can do in year one under new coaches because, because of the of transfer, the transfer. Yeah, exactly. This is how Otts built this team. You know, Brockington came in from Penn State. You know, Tyrese Hunter obviously was a recruit, but Koontz came in from uh, Washington State. Caleb Girl came from UNLV. You know, he had to turn over half the roster because half the roster left. You know, Rasir Bolton, their star guard from last year, is at Gonzaga. Uh, Jalen Coleman-Lands, their second leading scorer from last year, is barely playing any at Kansas, but he's in line for a national championship. So he had to rebuild it through the portal, and he had to get these guys to buy into playing basketball the way he wanted, which was defense first. And when you have a disparate group of transfers, some of which have been double-digit scorers at their previous institution, um, that's not an easy thing to do. But he managed to, to figure it out. And he said he did a lot of research on these guys before he actually brought them in. He wanted to make sure they had the right mindset. So um, what he did, you know, frankly, is remarkable. But it, it also might start becoming the norm. And when you think about Jerome Tang taking over at Kansas State, Nigel Pack putting his name in for the NBA draft, although I, I fully expect him to come back uh, for another year. Um, it sort of ratchets, ratchets up the expectations for a guy like Jerome Tang, who's taking over a team that was 500 in late February, and Tucson was a bubble team at the NCAA tournament level by that point. They're not that far away. How, how much could he turn that team around in one year based on what happens within that program and the transfer portal? It's kind of a, a – it shows how it can be done in one year going from two wins the previous year to 22 in the Sweet 16 the next year. It's pretty remarkable. It's one of the best coaching jobs I think I've ever seen from year to year. Now, speaking of uh, turnarounds, you could say that about Kansas, at least for the last couple of weeks, and Remy Martin, a big reason for that. Uh, you know, Bill Self said something interesting. I think it was after the Creighton game. I'm pretty sure there's a quote from Bill Self, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here where he basically came out and said, you know, I don't think we would have won this game against Creighton even a couple of weeks ago. And Remy Martin off the bench, a big reason for that. The knee is looking good. The knee is healthy. And they're a different team. I mean, is it all Remy Martin or is it something else? Is it, you know, McCormick kind of working through that foot injury that's just kind of making this thing click at the right time for Bill Self? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think the best thing you can say is that Bill Self did this season was just be patient. And that's not always an easy thing for a coach to do. You know, he knew he had talent. He had four returning starters. He knew what Remy Martin had done at Arizona State. He was a you know a near 20-point scorer for two straight seasons. And he knew he had all the ingredients to make this team better. And when Martin got hurt, you know, it, it kind of discombobulated all that. I saw him in December against Stephen F. Austin. He had, he had a cold-blooded three against SFA to win that game. And I thought to myself, this guy's going to be trouble in the Big 12. Well, he hasn't really had that opportunity because of the knee injury. But now that he's healthy and now that they've finally been able to work him into the rotation, he's accepted this role coming off the bench as sort of their sixth man. And you could see the impact he had against Crichton, hitting those two big threes early on when he came in the game. It really kind of changed the whole complexion of the game. Um, He's committed to defense. He's committed to passing and fitting in with a, a group of players that have been a part of this program for at least three years. But it's not just him. It's Jalen Wilson playing better after a very tepid start in November and December. It's the way that Bill Self has managed David McCormick, as you said, you know, trying to get him through this uh, injury that he's been dealing with for basically a year now. You know, riding you know a, a small trough in the play of Ochai Baji the past couple of weeks, and the remarkable consistency of Christian Brown, which we really don't talk nearly enough about uh, when we when it comes to this team. It reminds me a lot of the 2018 team that went to the Final Four. The difference between that team and this team 
is this team is deeper, it has more weapons, and they're going to be harder to defend the deeper they get into this tournament. Now, as we look ahead uh, to a potential Big 12 matchup here come the Elite Eight, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, Matthew, but I've just I got to get your thoughts. Could you imagine? I mean, just to, if you get a regular season game in Ames between Iowa State and Kansas, uh, Hilton Coliseum is on fire. Same thing in Lawrence. I mean, it is an incredible atmosphere when these two teams meet. Could you imagine these two teams with a Final Four on the line, Matthew? I mean, that is going to be must-watch television, even if you're like kind of a casual college basketball fan. Yeah, and, and in Chicago to boot. Not a yeah. long drive for Cyclones fans or for Jayhawks fans. Let's not let's not overlook Providence first because no. they'll get unhappy about that, like I did with Jesse Newell on Twitter last night. Um, <laughs> true, true, true. Um, yes, you're right, you're right. So they're, let, let's, they're, let's backtrack. They're, Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, they're, they're a really interesting team because they beat Texas Tech in December in the Big 12 Big East battle. And I kind of feel like Providence is built very much like Texas Tech in that they've got a lot of players who are very similarly sized in their starting five, which allows them to switch without giving up mismatches. And we've seen what kind of problems Texas Tech has caused Kansas in three games this year. If Providence is built that way, uh, that makes for a really interesting matchup for Texas Tech to have to deal with. They've got a couple of players that score 13 points a game in Nate Watson and Al Durham, but all their starters score at least uh, six points a game, plus they have a 12-point scorer coming off the bench in Jared Bynum. Um, they're, they're a really well-put-together team. They're not terribly deep, but they're well-put-together and they're well-coached. And, you know, you, you went to Villanova. You know how it is in the Big East. Everybody plays defense. Everybody plays physical basketball. That's how you beat a team like Kansas. You play them tough. You play them physical. You play them one-on-one. The thing that I'm interested to see with as many weapons as Kansas has now and how well they're playing as a group, does Providence try to trick things up defensively? Do they try to double Remy in the game? Do they try to double Ochai? Do they maybe leave David McCormick alone a little bit because McCormick's been inconsistent? Or do they just try to go ahead and play their whatever they play straight up on defense? I think that's the really interesting part of this game because I, I'm not sure they can beat Kansas man up on defense with as many weapons as Kansas has. But if they try to trick things up a little bit on defense, they could discombobulate them a little bit. And Bill Self said that Crichton did some things to them defensively that they hadn't seen all year. I'm sure Ed Cooley's gone through that tape by now and has probably picked a few things out. Yep. All right, Matthew. Uh, let me just get your thoughts here. The other Sweet 16 matchups, we'll, I'm sure we'll definitely do something for an Elite Eight uh, this weekend. But just looking at the other uh, Sweet 16 matchups, let's go to the South region. Arizona-Houston, future Big 12 team there in the Cougars. And then you got Villanova-Michigan. Mm-hmm. Who do you like there? Um, I like Houston. And I like Villanova. Okay. All right. All right. All right. If you watch the Arizona game on Sunday night, you know, I think the difference between Gonzaga struggling and Arizona struggling was the fact that Arizona just, you know, they they went a long stretch where they just weren't playing very assertively against Mm -hmm. TCU. And, you know, it's one thing to kind of kick yourself in the butt in the second half like Gonzaga didn't play better. It's another thing if you're not being assertive about it like Arizona was in the latter stages of that second half. Uh, they got too reliant on, on Benedict Mathurin, and um, 
I, I just feel like our, I just feel like Houston's on a roll right now, despite the fact that they've been without two starters since December. Yep. All right. Let's go to the East then. Uh, you know, a lot of upsets over there. The three seed Purdue against the fifteen Cinderella St. Peter's, and then the eight North Carolina against the four UCLA. Who do you got? Well, you know, you got to take Purdue because uh, you know, no, no fifteen seeds gotten to the Elite Eight, so I, I feel like there's a easy path there for Purdue. Although you got to give St. Peter's a lot of credit, A, for getting here, and B, for, you know, guys like uh, Doug Edert for cashing in. He just signed an NIL deal with Buffalo Wild Wings and um, <laughs> with Barstool Sports for, for T-shirts. I mean, if you haven't seen the photo of him on Instagram with the Buffalo Wild Wings, I mean, it's it's gold. It's it, You're going to want to frame it. It's just incredible. <laughs> um, so Purdue, and then, you know what, honestly, North Carolina, they are, I saw them twice in Fort Worth this weekend. They are playing great basketball right now. And Brady Manick, whom we're all familiar with because he was at Oklahoma for uh, four years, is playing the best basketball he has played in his entire NCAA career. He is absolutely on fire. When Before he got ejected from that game against Baylor, he had 26 points in 30 minutes. I mean, he is just – he's playing on another level right now. And I, I think they end up getting to the Elite Eight. There you go. All right, Matthew, we'll do it again here as the Elite Eight gets set over the weekend, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks for joining us. All right, sounds good. Great stuff, as always, with Matthew Postens. Our friends at DraftKings, don't forget the promo code HCS, HCS, for that $5 to win 200 Get on it right now. And by the way, hit that subscribe button. A lot more podcasts coming your way, Elite Eight show will be coming your way this weekend so hit that subscribe button and if you have 30 seconds leave us a rating and a review and we'll get you a heartland college sports koozie in the mail when you leave me a rating and a review and send me a screenshot of your rating and review to pete mundo m-u-n-d-o at heartlandcollegesports.com appreciate you guys we'll talk to you soon